University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkland. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. So there's this growing trend of these wild and crazy ways to tell your family members the gender of your baby. Um, and like everything in America, one person's wild and crazy gender reveal party is a challenge to another couple to outdo them. But some, sometimes they lead to some pretty crazy and unexpected outcomes. So take, for example, in 2017, a California cousin acres over 23 days. I really hope they ended up calling that kid something like Inferno or Blaze or Cults by doing something even more audacious. Every day audacious, we're looking at radical prayers that will transform our life. And each week we're examining different types of prayer and why they are critical for thriving in our life. And we're learning not just about different kinds of prayers, but we're challenging each other to practice these prayers each day as a way to deepen our journey with God. This morning, we're looking at a challenging nature of prayer called a prayer of consciousness. And for this, we take a look at the book of 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 1. I'm going to give you a little bit of the background before we read our text. As I mentioned, over the last several weeks when we were navigating after David, those that sat on the throne as part of his lineage, and our specific passage is about David's son Solomon, who was following in the footsteps of his dad. He built this grand temple for God in Jerusalem. Now, it took over seven years to build it, and when they finished it, the temple in Jerusalem was one of the marvels of the ancient world. It stood four, to- four stories tall, and nine years it was completely covered in gold. There wasn't a single surface in the temple that wasn't without decoration. It was a magnificent sight. And our passage is the culmination of the tents, temple's opening, the procession of the Ark of the Covenant being brought to the temple And verse 1 states, Then King Solomon summoned into his presence at Jerusalem the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes and chiefs of the Israelite families to bring the ark of the Lord, the covenant, from Zion to the city of David. All the Israelites came together, and King Solomon at the time of the festival of Illinois, the ark of King Solomon and the entire assembly of Israel had gathered about him before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep in place, and put it beneath question. Geez, how many sacrifices does it take? (laughs) What the author is describing sounds like a religious bloodbath of epic proportion. At some point, when you start to lose count of the number of sacrifices you're making, somebody has to pipe up and say, okay, okay, I think we have sacrificed enough sheep and goats in God's honor. God gets the point. Someone bring a mop and some bleach in here. It's no wonder that God spoke to the prophet Isaiah, and this is what God said through the prophet Isaiah, I've had more than enough of your sacrifices of fatted calves and the blood of bulls. But what we're learning from our text is that people were just merely trying to express their gratitude to God and the way that they understood God and what they believed God wanted for them. That's what their fathers and their mothers did before them, and their fathers and mothers did before them, and all of this, of course, laws and practices. And so all this leads us to consider, where did they get their concept of God and, and what God wants of them and from them? But, but this question we should also ask ourselves, where did we get our concept of God, its concept of God? 
and what God wants from us and for us. Some might say the Bible. Well, where did we garner the lens? I was born in Birmingham. Our Lord spoke and said, here is this annoying baby you're going to have to care for, at least until he's 18. The doctor that brought me into this world was a crimson plopped in front of the TV to follow Alabama football games and was taught the phrase roll tide before I could say mommy and daddy. Okay, some of that is a bit of an exaggeration. I didn't pick becoming an Alabama fan. There was no option in my house. And as a mediocre success of other programs, I see college football through the lens of crimson. Have you ever considered that the way you were raised, the culture you were reared, the color of your skin, the social standings you were born into, the geographic location, the political leanings that you inherited bear influence on the way that you see God and read God's word, which in turn affects the way that you believe in what God desires for your life and for the world. But such a question leads us to even bigger questions, in which does God shape our understanding of God or do we shape our understanding of God? Our theology, the way that we understand God and what God wants from us and for us is shaped by the way that we believe and live our lives. And pretty soon you can image of God and what God wanted for them. How do you, are our prayers merely a checklist of our agenda? And if we will see shortly in our text, sometimes, more often than we withdrew the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. Then Solomon said, the Lord has said that we would dwell in a dark cloud. I have indeed built a magnificent temple for you, a place for you to dwell forever. Skip down to verse 27. But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. The magnitude of this moment is huge. They've spent decades building this sacred temple, spending nearly a decade of actually building the ornate finery for the temple. Droves of people gathered to, to capture the moment of the ark being brought into the temple, the symbol of God's presence among the people. They've tried to understand the finite possibilities of a higher being than us. In endless ways, we have tried to transcend our finite existence to get a glimpse of the divine. And here, the Hebrew people were doing what they thought their concept of God and what God desired for them. In, in their worship, the sacrifice, the pomp and circumstances, the celebration, only to have God shroud it all in a dense fog of mystery. And to his credit, Solomon's sacred relic, Solomon asks a profound, and he even contain you in the heavens, let alone in this temple. For, for all the deep insight into who God is and what God desires from us and for us standing. And if we're honest, we, we are just as covered in a dense fog of uncertainty as the Hebrew people in the temple. As much as we have fixated our understanding of God, God is even deeper in a cloud of mystery than we care to admit. I'm reminded of a story from Jesus' ministry in which there were rumors and chatter of, about who he was and what his purpose was on earth. And so he asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? Some thought he was John the Baptist, come back to life, or Elijah, or another one of the prophets. But Jesus clarifies by asking, 
Who do you say that I am? It's a fascinating question because what he's implying is that he didn't ask, who do you want me to be, but who do you think I actually am? Solomon, the bold prophet that struck down to escape humanity's attempt to shape and mold him into what we want him to be. And Jesus recognized that, that humans have D.B. Cooper. For those that are history, he managed to demand $1 million of ransom from the U.S. government, jumped out of an airplane with a parachute in the middle of the night and was never seen or flight crew, the guests and the pilot. The first image generated is what we see up on the screen. It's called Composite A. The pilot of D.B. Pilot's mother was scared to death when she saw the sketch because she thought her son was going to be arrested by the FBI. And again, he was part of helping shape the narrative of what this guy looked like. See, maybe without realizing it, we shape God into our image and agendas. That's really what's at the heart of Jesus' conversation with the disciples, at the heart of our passage in 1 Kings. The desire, the heart of the words that times and experience a egocentric bias, a number of issues, including money and consumerism and politics and sexuality and marriage and on and on. And even more research into how people visualize, visualize God is according to their, their particular economic and political and social beliefs. And study even went further that the research found that more conservative folks tend to only read the books of Paul, while those that are, quote, progressive tend to read only Jesus' words. As Voltaire wrote, if God created us in God's own image, we have more than reciprocated. Of course, it's not just the nation of non-white. But just consider housing it. We have pegged God onto our side, justifying all the things that we see and believe in this world. And how arrogant we've become to believe that the God of the universe, the God who's existed before any country on this earth existed, that God has ordained certain groups of people to do certain things, all in the name of political loyalty. God is not a puppet to our country or our political parties or our agenda. There's great danger in not recognizing that agenda. We can do some pretty remarkably ungodly things. And part of wanting to see Jesus in our image is simply being a part of who recognize. In a sense, we know that God is love and that broke news uh, astronomers found at least. And the discovery outside of our solar system is rare because the planet has a temperature, meaning it could hold water on its surface and potentially support life. And over the next decade, the researchers want to define the... And although 40 light years away doesn't sound too far, it actually would take us millions of years to reach that solar system. But from a research perspective, it, and what's so humbling as we expended them in space, the God who spun the planet into orbit to try to put a gos, cosmic God into words, you just can't. They holy and holy other than us. The problem is themselves projecting that to the nth degree and factoring in all the goodness that God really is. God is not merely the best version of ourselves that we can think of. God is far more than that, above and beyond all that we can ask. Or is. And I've often wondered if our understanding into our image and agenda, we want concrete images and tangible knowledge of who God is. We want to be able to put into words who God is and how God functions in the world, and that's so much easier than to just shape God into what we want and desire. What kind of aspects of who God is that God has made known to us? But we're obsessed with putting God in a box, in our cognitive understanding and worldview and desired lifestyles. 
And we like things nice and neat in an organized box. Here's my, we want things that are concrete because that's balanced and safe. So why would we not try to do this with God? But God's complicated. God is perfect and fit understanding of who God is. But God desires for us to dip into what God desires. Can you imagine how your understanding of God and what God desires for you and for this world and how you see others if we allowed God to shape us through prayer instead of us trying to shape God into what we desire? We have a prayer of consciousness that I will pray for us and invite you to read along uh, with me. And the challenge is that we not just pray it this morning, but we try to practice this prayer throughout this week, not knowing that just saying words are some sort of magical thing in our life, but a, a vulnerable spirit to allow it to speak and to shape us and form us. The prayer this morning is this. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom way to peace, taking, as Jesus did, the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will. Next.